0: Hello and welcome to the Friendly Ties podcast. I am here today with my friends Jonathan and Nick and we are here to talk about Boone Lake which we have played we've each played a handful of times we played a handful of times together and we have a lot to talk about this is a pretty meaty game and uh, we're really excited to dive into it.
1: Yeah we've talked about it a lot offline so now we got (laughs) the recorders going.
0: (laughs) Yeah so uh, where should we start this is a big one.
1: I mean I think
2: the first question right is what is what is a boon lake right that's that's where we we need to start here
1: Yeah yeah I mean <laughs> thematically you are unnamed people who have arrived at this area that is uninhabited and it is very bountiful and you all competitively you know take part in the bounty together it's a very bland theme obviously it <laughs> it, 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 it it seems like it's doing everything it can to like not be anywhere in particular or at any time in particular and all the things that you do kind of help everybody and i guess i mean we should probably start with a super brief overview of it i mean the it's a like you said a medium to heavyweight game usually takes a couple hours to play and the central mechanic involves uh on your turn you select one action tile out of seven and then you do something and then everybody does something with that action including yourself and each action tile is kind of different like one lets you put pastures and cows on the board and another one lets you make levers and that kind of stuff um so it's a game where the downtime is usually not that bad because everybody's kind of doing something on everybody's turn And, and the big things that you're doing involve you know putting tiles into a communal board and then putting your own pieces on those tiles so like there's kind of a a race to get to places where uh, you want to get there before somebody else blocks you and that kind of thing. But um, there's a lot more to the game than that, but that's kind of the mindset that you should be in uh, (laughs) when we start talking about this.
0: Right. This is an Alexander Pfister design, great Western trail, Maracaibo, Mombasa, like, and this is another one of his loop games where you're playing, you know, in kind of going around this river that is kind of a, a big, player timed loop i don't know what, what what's the mechanic for that called like... i think it's just a timer <laughs> it's yeah <laughs> you go around the
1: river enough times the game is over yeah uh now i think before we move on to talking a lot about this game i do want to briefly say that i did make a sponsored tutorial for this game it's on the jongets games youtube channel and i'll put a link to it in the description of this podcast um i do also want to point out that I am biased, right? (laughs) Capstone Games is a client of mine, so keep that in mind as I talk a lot about my uh, ups and downs with this game. Uh, The other thing I want to say is that we did not film a playthrough video to go along with this, so uh, if you want to see how it's played, then you can go ahead and check that tutorial out. I'd love to
2: kick off talking about that sort of central core mechanism of the game, the I select an action tile, and then I do that action, and then everybody does kind of the secondary action. There's like a main action and a secondary action, because that's easily my favorite part about this game i think that getting to do something on every player's turn feels like you're never disengaged with from the game and it's interesting you know someone won't always take kind of what you expect you can either play the game where you're trying to anticipate what people are taking or just kind of like as they take it like you know come see come saw like as as it shows up you do with it what seems best. And then on your turn, you get to choose sort of like what the main action is followed by the secondary action. And I just think that that mechanic is, it, it is a really wonderful way of doing player interaction in a in a Euro game.
1: Yeah, especially one where traditionally, if you weren't doing stuff on other people's turns, I feel like there's enough going on here that downtime could potentially be a factor you know, waiting for somebody to go through so much. But, you know, in this game, you know, if it's my turn and I select whatever action it is maybe it's the upgrade a couple of uh, people on the board well after i get to do an upgrade everybody else gets to do an upgrade or development action kind of thing and so i select that tile and now everybody's can think okay, you know, do I want to upgrade? Do I want to develop? And sure, the person, it's my turn, and I get to do this twice because that's kind of a perk for this specific action. But even while I'm thinking about it, everybody else is thinking about it. And that one in particular, you kind of have to do in turn order because when you develop, you put a person out and you take a spot that somebody else might want to go to. But many of the other ones aren't like that. It might be a situation like the levers I briefly mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, you can build these little levers, which are, you know, like, like literally a, a, you, hand, you grab it with a handle and you pull it down. Well, It's a cardboard token, but it looks like a handle. And when that's selected, everybody can just build a lever at the same time. Like, that's kind of fully simultaneous. The lever I build has no impact on somebody else's. And oftentimes, the secondary effect is just anybody can play a card from their hand any card and sometimes when it's your turn you have some restrictions so again you know now it's nick's turn and nick decides to do this thing and that thing but i know just from him choosing that tile i get to play a card from my hand so while he's doing his turn i'm looking at my hand and then i'm doing it and then once he finishes he asks is everybody done and usually everybody is <laughs> and then you, go, you move on to the next person
0: yeah yeah i mean i want to agree like i think that's my favorite part of this game too nick and i love that action selection Multiple role, you know, mechanic, if you will, you know, and I feel like that is one of my favorite mechanics, and I've yet to find a game that I, I truly love that does it. I mean, I, I love it in Puerto Rico and San Juan and Race for the Galaxy, and so many games have have utilized it, but I've yet to see it done, for me personally, it, it, kind of in the way it's done here in Boone Lake, where it's like it's done in like a kind of a heavier engine building euro where you're kind of trying to do something like where it it feels so central to this game but there's so much built around it and i do think that it's it's done really well here and i i i really enjoy it for that because as i was like looking after we played it the first time the rest of my collection being like i actually realized i don't own you know i mean i don't own boon lake either but i don't own any game that actually utilizes that mechanism despite how much i like it because a lot of those games that i mentioned and other games the amount of thinking that kind of goes into that choice, it becomes all the game is. And there there's so much more that happens in Boon Lake, if if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. I mean the reward for being leader in Boon Lake too is unique. It's this is a heavier game than Puerto Rico at Race for the Galaxy by like a fair margin, right? But in those games, whoever's the leader you get like a a minor perk, right? Like it's a discount of one or plus one at this or get an extra card or something like that. Whereas in this one, when you're the leader on something, you usually get to do something unique, right? Like I place a tile or I break the rule about this. Um, It's it's rare that it's like you get some minor discount. It's like you have a fundamentally different turn structure than other people. And I can't think of any other heavy games that have this kind of mechanism. And I, I really think
1: this is a good prototype for what that could look like for other games doing that in the future.
0: Yeah, I totally agree.
1: Yeah, on on top of this, it's kind of a a two-for-one when it comes to mechanics because I mentioned there's these seven actions and they kind of sit in a stack. And there's an incentivization mechanic baked in to this, you know, everybody gets to do an action thing because the location that you take that tile from will dictate how far you go down that river that we talked about earlier. That's kind of like the game clock for the game. Uh, The higher up the stack you choose, The farther you can go on the river with your little ship, and the lower on the stack you choose, the slower you go. And that's important because when you select a tile, you take it and you put it to the bottom of the stack. So that means if I choose the action to, uh, let's say, uh, put a a pasture down and put some cows down on my turn. um, Well, I put a pasture, I put a cow, and now it's Anastasia's turn. And maybe she's got some reason that she needs to put a lot of cows down. She could do that she could on her turn choose that same action but she's gonna barely move on the river and actually lose points if you choose tiles that have been uh selected too recently you're actually gonna lose a point or two which is not that big of a deal when you usually win this game with around 200 points so losing a point or two maybe is not that that big of a thing but it's definitely incentivizing you to say you know you don't need to do pastures again maybe pick this region scoring that's sitting up there at the top spot and lets you move four times and uh it's just a neat way that they they filter up the longer it has been since they've been selected
0: and you know i think it's interesting because you might think you hear all that and you might think oh that's gonna that's gonna garner like a lot of ap right like not only am i trying to pick which of the seven actions i want to do and there's going to be these like you know additional bonuses that my opponents are going to do and now i have to think about them in the order but what i actually you know because that order is going to like you said dictate how i move so i have to think about how many spots do i need to move and while that is all going on, one of the things I do really enjoy about that aspect of them being in that order is that it almost actually is self-limiting in a way. Like your your choice of tile becomes much more obvious because you're likely not going to want to repeat what was just done because the follow action, if you will, of like John placing cows. Like I also got to place a cow. So like I don't necessarily need I don't need to do it unless I really, really need to do it. I'm likely not going to do it but I also don't want to lose those points and I know Nick you've talked about playing it where you like almost always take the top 2 let you move the furthest and being the the leader we're using it in multiple ways but being the leader on the river if you will being ahead. um being ahead being the being the the player who is kind of le- like essentially setting the pace um which you know will be very familiar to those of you who played Maracaibo you know you kind of like who is setting the pace for each round and so doing that you in order to do that, you need to take more of the spots that you move four times or three times on the river, and those are at the top. And likely, those actions are going to be not always the ones other people would potentially take. And I think Nick, you've by talked about this a little right? bit, by definition, right? Because they're up there, right, right, right. <laughs> and you've talked about kind of planning your game where you just always take those, and you just kind of make your strategy work around what you take. So it's like I guess what I'm trying to say is, your options actually get narrower, and the decisions get a little bit easier by the nature of the way these tiles are laid out.
2: Right. I mean, I'm just such an opportunist that I have a hard time leaving those things there. And it's, you know, there's seven actions. All of them are good, right? Like in some way or another, um, you might not want to do, you know, region scoring in one moment because what region scoring really does is it's, it's not scoring often so much as paying resources. And so if you don't need resources, it doesn't feel great to take region scoring as your unique action. So you might skip over that and then say, well, am I going to play a bunch of cards? No, I'm not going to play a bunch of cards. So I'll skip over that one. And then you look at the next one and it says you can put some tiles down on the board uh, and put some some you know cow meeples on top of them and say, okay, great, that's exactly what I want to do right now. So I'm, I'll I'll dive into that. Um, so you can kind of like go through this like exit process of like what it is that you want in the moment and pick the thing at the top that that seems juiciest of those options. So yeah, I, I think that it's it's nice. It's satisfying um, in terms of picking those and that that flow is really interesting. You know, a game, ostensibly the number of turns that you personally will take in this game, it depends on the player count, is going to be like 10, like really only 10 turns. But usually yeah. when you hear that in a game... You know, you're thinking of something like Grand Austria Hotel where it's like you only take 16 actions and like it is very tight. But in this game, me taking 10 actions means that I take 10 main actions, 10 secondary actions on my turn, 10 secondary actions on John's turn, 10 secondary actions on Anastasia's turn. And then in each of the scorings, you get two free actions there as well. So it sounds like not a lot, but it stacks up really quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: The one critique that I have and is that of this mechanic is that it does lend itself to being better at more players like I think three is the sweet spot on that mechanic because I mean played it several times two players with each of you and we did play it four players our first time as well and we did play it four players as well I I think it's a little long at four players but that was the first play so I can't actually speak to four players beyond that so I feel like three is the sweet spot but four is probably you know it's it's good in a different way and the and the river does accommodate that supposedly to kind of help keep that timing down I shouldn't say supposedly it does but at two exactly what you just said Nick you have well you just said you're going to take 10 actions plus 30 secondary actions at two players you're only going to take 20 secondary actions if you will and I think that not having those additional actions from another player for me does make the game a, a little bit less bountiful it just it's just like a little bit less i just i sort of miss out on having those additional actions come out
2: i mean i think the the quantity of bounty is relatively similar uh in the sense that like probably in a two-player game you end up taking more turns where you're the main action person right but I, there's something really satisfying about like taking secondary actions on other people's turns and making them work for you yeah and I think that's for me the part that's missing in the two-player game because I, I agree with you I think the three or four is feels nicer than the two-player game not that the two-player game doesn't work
1: it's yeah totally fine honestly I think it's yeah. kind of hilarious that that we're like this game lets you take too many turns <laughs> it's, it's better when other people take more turns than you uh, <laughs> which is you know kind of feel like we're in upside down world when we say that but i totally <laughs> totally see what you're saying with it um in the two-player game i feel like i enjoyed two maybe a little bit more than uh, than the both of you but i totally see where you're coming from we're just like oh it's my turn again <laughs> like there's almost this uh you could you could sink into the comfort of uh, somebody else telling you what you're going to do on your turn and like yeah you, yeah, know, you yeah. still have choices like you know nick goes and he says everybody can play a card like okay well what card do i play like i still have choices but you know it's like oh nick went there i guess i'm playing a card cool it's almost like a little you know endorphin gift hit thing it's very strange when we think about it
0: well and one of the secondary the main there are a lot of secondary actions that you can do you're kind of specific to the tile but on i think five of them you have a choice whether you're going to do something that is kind of akin like we're talking about placing cows you can also place a cow or you can play a card and you can play any card and we haven't really started to talk about the card mechanic in this game which is just another layer we probably it's gonna, should it's a huge yeah, part of the game yeah we should kind of pivot to there but but i guess i guess we'll talk about it so yeah. you know you have this giant deck of cards so you've got cards they come in what is it four different suits three. Is it three different three different suits and so just when you thought we had talked about the seven tiles and there was enough decisions to make when you choose your main action if 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 you have a card in your hand that you're, you that you can play that matches the suit of the tile, you're allowed to play it. Or you can discard it and get 2 money, which is actually one of the main income generators in the game. There's there's other ways to get money, but this is this is a way that you can do especially in the early game if you don't have cards that you're quite ready to play, you can discard them and and make money or you can play them. And so again, there's this like added layer of choice which does the tile I take going to correspond to a card I'm able to play. But to like loop this back into this idea of the secondary actions and being able to take those five out of the seven, let you just play any card you want or discard any card you want to make two money. And there's something very freeing about that. So I guess what I was sort of alluding to when I was saying, I feel like three player is better than two is actually just the fact that I feel like I can play more cards in three player and the cards, you know, are a big part of this game. They're like, a, a, they're the meat of this game. It's kind of getting, well, you could argue a lot of things are the meat of this game, but they're, they're, they they feel, like feel like at least a leg.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there have been many times playing the game where I will really want to do a red tile. You know, the tiles, again, they have three essentially colors. And the action on the red tile is just what I really want to do. Maybe I want to make a lever. And I look at my hand and I have no red cards. I've got, you know, the the light blue cards and the dark blue cards because apparently those are the colors.
2: <laughs> well, it's the the time of day, right? The the morning exactly. and the evening yes. and I, I like the suits. I like the suits. I like right. it too. I Man. do too. I do too. It's daytime,
1: it's sunset, and it's night. It's not light blue, <laughs> red, and dark blue. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, but, so you but have a you,
0: sunset tile, and you don't have a sunset card. And it
1: feels bad. Like, like I yeah. want to take this tile, but I can't even discard a card for two money. I can't play a card. Well, I guess maybe I'll do something else. But yeah, th- th- I think that really does th- th- kind of close the loop on why <laughs> it's, it's nice to often have turns when it's other people, because you could play or discard any card. Um, and and you like, well, cool, I didn't want to play any knight actions for a while anyway, so let's get rid of this and get the two money that I exactly need to do the next thing.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of the, the aspects of the cards that demand you'd pay attention to them, right? Is It's the hand management component of it. If you want to keep your options open, you need to have a viable version of, you know, each suit's card sitting in your hand so that you have the flexibility to do that on your turn. And if not, then you just need to be aware that you don't, really have those options at the same level of efficiency that you would otherwise and this game is uh largely a tactical game, right because we're all doing kind of similar things throughout right like if I'm taking the same secondary actions of the action that you're taking we're we're largely going on the same paths right This is not a game where you're developing a unique strategy you know you might have some nuances in what it is that you're doing, but at the end of the day you're trying to like win by the like small these small edges in every one of these places
1: yeah. Yeah, and before we move on from cards, um, there's two other things I think we should touch on. Uh, the one is that I really do think there's a solid argument to to be made that this is a card game with a board. There's a lot <laughs> of important things that you do on the the board. I don't want to minimize them, but but as you said, every single main action, the first thing that you get to do is play a card. That's just baked into every single action on your turn like we mentioned before like putting pastures down and cows well cool before you got to put the pasture and the cow you also got to play a daytime card um or discard it for a couple of bucks so that's really baked in there and i think i don't think i've played a game where anybody played less than like 10 cards by the end and we've certainly seen games where at least where somebody has played like 20 plus cards over the course of this game um and these cards Often times have end game, uh, conditional end game things on it, like, you know, one point for every cow you put down. Uh, they're frequently just one shots, like increase yourself on a track. Uh, and sometimes they have a conditional thing, like every time you go to a certain spot in the river, draw an extra two cards or that kind of thing. So you really, like, there's cards everywhere. Like, there's a bunch of other stuff going on, but, like, you can't not play cards. Uh, cards feel almost like the backbone of the game to me, anyway.
2: I was a little. I do want to talk about the cards because they were a little bit of a whiff for me. And I was really surprised about that because I, one of um, Fister's other designs, Maracaibo, is like one of my favorite games of all time. And that game is very card driven in terms yeah. of how it interacts with the the board. And in this game, the cards, uh, I think, are not quite as impactful as they are in Maracaibo. Um, another game that I want to draw a comparison to is Terraforming Mars because, you know, that's another game where you end up playing a ton of cards throughout the game. And they actually. The, the cards in that game have a very similar feel to this game and that a lot of them, like, you play them, it's one and done, right? You, like, you pay the costs that are associated, you get the rewards, it, like, impacts something on the board or one of your tracks or something like that, and then it basically just sits there until the end of the game. Maybe it scores you some points at the end of the game. And that's cool. I mean, I, I like that idea. I like games with big decks that make you make those kinds of decisions. Uh, but the reason it's a little bit of a whiff in this game for me is that I didn't feel enough diversity of the impact of the cards um as I, as I would have liked and I'm I'm I wonder if the two of you feel the same way about that
0: Yeah yeah I think I feel that too Nick I mean that cuts in a little bit to like kind of my larger thoughts on the game one of the things I love about Maracaibo just like you is that you get these cards whether they're the story cards or otherwise but you do get some cards that come out that just have a very unique feel that make you want to be like Hey, I want to build a strategy around this. And I don't find myself I don't feel like there are any cards that I want to sit there and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to like go this path." I mean, they they do direct you enough. Like you might have one that like discounts cows or something or or sorry, gives you extra money for cows and you're like, "Okay, cool. Maybe I'm going to build some more cows." <laughs> We're really focusing on cows. It's a very <laughs> one aspect of many in the game. But I don't I too miss just that feeling of like, uh, like a wow card yeah. or a like, hey, I want to do this. And I actually, there there is one card in the game I feel that way about, and it's the statues, um which essentially these are cards that let you discard other cards and give you a mass amount of points as you're playing the game. And then our last game of this, I think I played two or three of them. I think yeah. I played two of them. Yeah. They cost a lot. They're hard to play, and you have to discard cards To get those points but i do think those are cool and so i found myself in situations where i was like okay i need to like get enough money so that i can like play this down
1: this game has i think 165 cards in it so it's not quite terraforming mars and it's not quite arc nova but it's a big deck of cards there on the table and i think i i've heard this term of baby steps games before uh where some games let you take little baby steps you know like putting together a little plan and then you know you end up with like putting everything together over the course of many turns and like boom i do the thing that i've been setting up for lots of turns and other games are like like golem or something like i have 12 turns every turn needs to be big like <laughs> baby steps yeah. in golem then you're in real trouble and this is a game where it almost feels like that massive deck of cards they're all a baby step like every little card and there really aren't cards that you play down and it's big and it's impactful. Um, I played this game five times and I, I can't think of honestly a single moment where like Anastasia, you played a card and you were like, I'm playing this card and I'm going to do X or Y. And I say, wait, what are you doing? It's just, you, you play a card and that card probably lets you do something you could have done some other way with like a tiny discount or, um, yeah, maybe now, um, when you, uh, Coming back to the cows, maybe now the next time you put a cow down, it's going to be slightly cheaper. Um, or, you know, maybe now when you discard a certain type of card, you get a couple extra money. You're just piecing together all these little things. And I feel like it's because cards are, again, like this flowy backbone to the game, where every single main action that you have, you can play cards. And on most other people's turns, you can also play cards. You have so many opportunities to play them that it seems like the design pushed towards making them simpler, less flashy... And unfortunately, less interesting compared to other games. I mean, we played Boon Lake for the first time within a month of playing Ark Nova for the first time. And uh, that game has a you know 200 cards or so. And I feel like we were five games into Ark Nova and we'd still draw a card and be like, holy cow. <laughs> wait until, just you all wait. Wait until I play this card. <laughs> and then like two rounds later you're playing, like this is the card I was telling you about. You know, like you have a, give this excitement about drawing whatever like a massive crocodile or something like that and in uh, in boon lake they're just these tiny little benefits um that cost money and money's the main, like essentially the resource of the game and if you're not playing cards then you're not going to win um, so play the cards and you know do the tactics of the things that you have in your hand it's just it's interesting like i don't fault it for the fact that the card deck is a little lackluster when i think about it from a baby steps perspective like if you play 20 cards and every card is huge What's that going to do to the decision space and the analysis paralysis and all that kind of stuff? I don't even know.
2: Yeah. know, one thing that we've noticed about this game is that it seems to be very well tuned. For a game that you score like 200 points in, the game has like balances between these like different options. And there are a lot of options of things that you can do. And so I think that's probably part of why those baby steps are required, right? For the like game to not just explode with. I drew this card and so sucks for you guys. I'm about to <laughs> run away with this game. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean this is this is not being balanced is not a critique that I would ever, ever say about this game. I mean like <laughs> the joke on this game is that in our first two or three plays, I did completely different things, like utterly different strategies. You
1: played four the first four plays, your score was within four points. Yeah. And it was all and, the and one ninety nine, one ninety one. You just no matter what you did, you're no getting... matter what I
0: did. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact that was a that was actually a critique of mine I was like this game is too it's still a critique this game is too well balanced like for me to score 189 twice and then 191 and 187 like and do utterly different strategies one time I think I did all levers one time I cleared my board one time I did like I just I I went in different directions and then and, and we're going to talk i think a little bit about how you kind of have to do everything in this game you know to, to do it well but nevertheless it's, you can still kind of specialize and i did that and yeah it's just <laughs> i actually thought i had an upper threshold i i think i still do i still don't think i've gone above one one i was i was <laughs> i was almost mad at it i was like i can't do better than this score <laughs> like
1: it's you also couldn't s- do worse apparently <laughs> so I
0: yeah 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 so well, i i just want to comment and agree with you nick on that
1: I don't think we should wander too far off before giving just a little bit more attention to the resource uh, system. At a very high level, uh, I mentioned that money is the main resource of the game. You just use coins, whatever. And every card, well, most cards cost money. Um, And also, most cards cost resources. There's four resources in the game. uh, Wood, loam, stone, and steel, I think. And it's got this really funky thing that I'm not going to go into the details of in a podcast. But on your player board, you have a river that goes wood, loam, stone, steel, and you have these two little canoes. And wherever a canoe is, it's making you one of that thing. If it's on wood, it's making one wood. If it's on steel, it's making one steel. And the cards that you play cost money, which you spend. And then you need to Prove that you're making the resources. So if you have a card that needs, you know, five money, a wood, and a steel, well, here's the five money. I have a canoe on wood. I have a canoe on steel. Boom. Um, But if the next card you play needs stone, you need to move your boats. And uh, I'm already going into too many specifics, but it's a little mini game of sliding your two little canoes back and forth. One direction's free; the other one costs money. And you know, money's the main resource. So within the mini game of sliding your resource boats around, you still need to make sure you have the money to play the cards that you have in your hand.
2: Right. And then the other component of that is you have opportunities throughout the game to increase your resource production in, in one of each of the things or yes. two of each of the things. And I really like a dopey little mini game in games. And this one definitely works for me. Um, the feeling of, you know, I've looked at my hand and I've I, I want to play like this one and this one and this one. And if I like move my canoes in this way, that's the correct order to play them. After you like lay down those cards, you're like, oh, I'm so I'm so crafty because I've organized <laughs> my canoes in the best way. And that's a good feeling. I like it.
0: Well, you know, actually speaking about the cards, we haven't talked a lot about the income phase of this game. And there's a lot of ways you can get you can draw cards and get gold in this game. But one of the ways in which that happens is during these four income or scoring phases that happen in the game. So basically you've got this river and There are four dams along the river, and whenever a player crosses over one of those dams, you do a scoring. And during that scoring, a bunch of things happen. You're going to get to do a couple of actions. It's very similar to the end-of-loop scoring in Maracaibo. But one of the things that happens is there is a gold track and a card track, both of which are going to give you gold and card income. And what's interesting, and I'm really curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this, is that these tracks are kind of self-limiting, right? You gain more gold, but then at a certain point, that gold kind of stalls out, and I think at one point it even goes down, and you draw more cards. But then at a certain point, you draw less cards as you keep going. But then, of course, as you get higher on the tracks, you start making more and more points, right? So then you're scoring more points every round than you were before.
2: Yeah, I mean, the a lot of the stuff in this game is, I think, just about ultimately scoring points this is not like you have an income in this game but it's not a game where you build an income system like a lot of other euros that we're probably accustomed to playing Uh, because exactly as you pointed out that money track is only going to go up so much that card track is only going to go up a teeny amount we haven't talked about removing pieces from your board but when you play onto the board You remove things on your track, much like uh, Terra Mystica or any kind of game like that, and reveal income that's there. And what seems to be important is that you do a little bit of each of them to get your resource generation. And once you start doing more of any of them, removing things from your board, moving up the money track, moving up the card track, then they say, all right, now you just get victory point income instead. So the game basically says, look, dabble early to get more resources. And then beyond that, I'm just giving you points in whichever way you decide to go.
1: Yeah, and honestly, yeah. that kind of, that does kind of bum me out. Uh, the more I think <laughs> about it, like, when you th- the board specifically, like, you're removing things. On your board, you have these little houses, um, and you have these little cow people, inhabitants of the region, and then you have settlements. So you put a person on the board through an action, and then you can turn a person into a house, and when you do that, you remove the house from the board, and you put it onto the main board, uh, and you can turn a house into a settlement. And even here, like, it feels like there should be, like... A very clear delineation, like houses do something different than settlements, perhaps. And at the beginning of the game, they do. The first two houses that you remove give you two money income. Cool. Every single settlement that you remove gives you three victory point income. So it feels like, all right, I get it. I put a person on the board, I get something immediately. Then I put a house and I get money income. Then I put a settlement and I get victory point income. But that's not it, because only the first two houses give you money income. Every house after that, I think you could put up to six of them, gives you victory points. And this this brings me back to the point about the, the tracks where it seems like from a tuning perspective, there's these real breaks that are kind of stopping runaway engines of, of, of certain types. Like, you're not going to get a crazy card draw engine. The card draw track doesn't let you. <laughs> you're not going to get a crazy money engine because the money track doesn't let you. It, it caps out at seven. And sure, now you get more and more points off of it. And then even, again, with the houses, like... I was surprised when I saw that. I kind of expected that, like, all houses would do, would give you money income and then, like, all settlements would get you victory point income. So, you know, if you want to lean hard into settlements, uh, lean hard into getting points, you put the settlements out, or maybe you're struggling for money, we'll go hard on those houses. But it's almost like the game took that decision away from you to, like, maybe even dig your own grave by making too much of a money engine and not much of a victory point engine. It's, it, it's saying, you know, Sure, the first couple houses will give you money, but after that, it's points. The first couple of this, you know, increase your card draw, but after that, it's points. Like, you've had enough. And, and it's a little weird. Like, we've we've all commented that we kind of want it to let us go nuts. It almost feels like the design is a bartender that's cutting you off. Like, you have drank too much of that coin and card draw alcohol. Uh, I'm cutting you off, and you're getting glasses of Victory Point water for the rest of the night. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's exactly like what we were saying about the cards, right? This game has so many ways to earn points or rewards, right? Like so many little ways. So just like you were saying with the cards, it's like every card will give you like a baby step. It feels like that's exactly the same thing with the boards, uh, with your player board, and frankly with the main board itself. I mean, one of the things we haven't talked about yet is that one of the actions you can do is place people on the board and those people will turn into the houses you were talking about, John, and those houses will turn into settlements. And when you place those people, you're gonna get a reward for everything that you place. And that's great. It feels good. And like when you move along the way, s- a couple of bucks, a couple of cards, what do you need? This- exactly and it does create for some interesting choices there's a lot of variability there's tiles that come out that kind of that cover the board and where you place those are interesting and they change the game and and there's also points or a reward you know whether that's points money cards uh and some other things every time you place a spot in the river so while this game doesn't like kind of allow you to run away with anything or to really build an engine that's just going to like give you that constant you know Churning of stuff, it does let you build and build and build. And as we're talking about it, I'm actually starting to even appreciate that more from within this conversation. That it really is like, how are you going to build all of these tiny, tiny little rewards that you're going to get from all sorts of places? You're like, oh, no matter what you're doing, you're always getting reward. I mean, frankly, when you're when someone else takes an action, you're getting a reward. You're like constantly getting rewards. Yeah. So. Um, it's almost like, I almost feel like we're being greedy and I've, I'm going against my own point, but I almost feel like we're being greedy being like, well, it's not enough. It's not enough <laughs> that I'm constantly getting stuff everywhere. I want more. And yet, and yet I say that and I still, I uh, wish there were ways uh, to get a little bit more.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, a bunch of psychology behind like rewards and like the most impactful is actually like variable reward systems right where you don't just get something every time but in this game you get something every time and so i think that maybe mutes it a little bit over the time i think one place actually where the um rewards or the income that you get that actually is the most diverse in this game are the levers and uh i have I have a couple of pros about the levers, and then like one con about the levers. So the levers, first of all, I'm not usually one for tactile components in games, but I really like that they like sit in their little lever slots, and you like ding them down and like ding them up. I actually think it's like crank super them. Cute yeah, and, and <laughs> it's like a just a very good like intuitive euro mechanic for like you get this reward and now you can't see it anymore so you can't get this reward i think that's actually like (laughs) like a literal wonderful yeah Yeah, it it really works for me i don't know why but it uh, it's it's quite satisfying um and there's a diverse option of of that what they can do, they can get you more people if you do this, or like change the condition of this, or like get these rewards immediately, or like skip this kind of action and get this bonus. You know, they can, they have quite a variety of options in the levers, more so than I would say a lot of other aspects of the game. Um, which I think is cool too, because you can kind of like choose where you want to go in the game. My con though for the levers is that I find myself buying the same ones every game. It seems to me, and maybe I'm just a coward when it comes to playing the game and like I really need to like be braver, but I'm having a hard time not buying the same ones because they strike me as the best. And maybe that's just because it's the way I play, but I, I, I do worry about that in a sense.
1: Yeah, there's 12 different levers, And when I first saw that, I kind of figured that would be kind of a big variability uh launch off point um you know like twelve different levers a focus on one one game focus on one another um but it does seem like it, there's not much there to stop you from just accidentally doing the same thing from each game to game.
0: well, I think one aspect of that is actually that scoring for the levers incentivizes you to buy more of them, right, so it's not like you can you can go through the game and just you know, by a couple, but if you have even four of them, you're gonna score two points for everyone, and if you have seven of them, you're gonna score three points for everyone. And so, like, as you play the game, you you're sort of like, okay, wait, now I need to do like my levers and I need to get them. And so, you sort of encourage to get a lot of them. And I do feel like there is a sort of pattern of like which ones will be most effective for me to get the most out of this. Um, you know, having said that, in our last play of this. I used a lever that I there's this element of the game that we I I don't think we'll really touch on but the, this is another resource called either vases essentially and they're they're very specific and you don't often need to use them but but if you do need to use them you do and they're fairly hard to get and there's a lever that lets you get rid of them or use them and so anyways it sort of felt like a unique strategy to use this particular lever and it used it as a like an income generator and it worked pretty well for me and it was actually I agree with you, John, that like for me, it was fun to do that as a point of variability. I was like, ooh, this is the thing I did this game. But I still built all of the other levers that I would normally have built. And then that was kind of like my my jump card. off one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. I I don't want to harp on it too much, but it, it does often feel like you get the lever for the points and then you're like, well, which one should I take? You're like, well, I'm I'm definitely right. taking a lever. I can afford it. It's worth the points. Uh, this one as opposed to when I first saw it I thought it'd be the kind of thing where I'd be like salivating to get one lever and then like can't wait to get the next one I just felt a little bit uh, disappointed by ultimately the the effects and the impacts that they they've had in our plays
0: yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, the first two you buy really matter, but I think we've just seemed to find that we keep buying the ones that are like, give you more money or give you more cow meeples because those seem to be the ones that we just get choked on all yeah. the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, speaking of the variability in the game, we've talked about, you know, the different kind of paths you can take if you want to go heavy in levers and that can be what we hoped was more of a point of variability that we've talked a little bit about the tiles that come out that kind of create a different board state that are going to give you different rewards and different things but i think the main and the cards obviously but i actually think the main point of variability of this game is the is the scoring tiles right that yeah that which we haven't talked about at all yet no so i kind of <laughs> wanted to like take us over there and talk a little bit about them
1: so yeah i mean there's so much going on to, into this game and as part of setup everybody gets their own little scoring tile and there's always going to be four of them and there's always four scorings in the game. And in each scoring, you have to you have to pick one. And this is, I fully agree, one of the largest points of variability, at least as far as like, what am I going to do? What, what was my pattern going to be? Because like in the last game that we played, the one I chose was cows. Um, you want to have a lot of cows. <laughs> cows. So All we talk about is cows right? this whole podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> there's so much else game. going on. <laughs> I went into that game, like trying to have five cows in the fourth round got not going into all the specifics of it but you have to score each one of them exactly once and it's better to score yours later on um but i know nick had a tile to have lots of settlements so nick was really focused on getting a lot of settlements out uh in some games it's regional like have certain um pieces in in different regions of the board and you know we we keep saying like the scores have been somewhat tight and they're often in the high uh hundreds and the amount of points you get for these scoring tiles is actually relatively small. Uh, like the the, the biggest uh, uh, benefit that you're going to get uh, if you, you like, I said I, I planned all game long to have five cows, and I got eight points out of that. Like that was my my big coup de grace, essentially <laughs> right at the end, that it all came together and I had the right amount of cows. But I guess if all your scores are released tight, then even in the two hundreds, eight points can be a big swing. But yeah, like looking to see what those scoring tiles are, not only what you picked, because that's kind of your long-term strategy to try and get those eight points out of it, but also seeing what your opponents picked to figure out the kind of path you want to get there. It's worth thinking about because you actually lose points for the scoring tiles you don't pull off. And again, it's like, oh, I lost two points or instead of I got two points, or I lost three points instead of getting three points. All these things seem small, but I mean, that's kind of the game, right? The game is just full of all these small things that add up into a mountain of points, anyway. <laughs>
2: yeah i have a little split on the tiles which are the end game points but they're also the interim scoring right which ones you you end up choosing to to cash in on throughout the course of the game i like that they sort of set a restriction on you and they say hey you really need to pay attention to these four things and you know the first one that you do you can kind of more or less ignore they're always very easy at the beginning but then you kind of need to pay attention a certain amount and if i was like play testing this game I also wonder if this this would be probably the component of the game that I would say, does this game really lose anything if I cut these out of here? So I I I'm torn because I like that they sort of like put you in a in an alley, but there's already so much going on in this game that I don't know that I would really miss if they weren't there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes
0: sense. I mean, I think it depends on the tile. Like some of them are, to be frank, pretty boring. Like where it's just like, okay, have some houses or, you know cows or they just they kind of align with strategies that you're naturally going to take I mean we've talked a ton about cows but one of the really cool things about cows is actually one of the more interactive elements is that cows earn points by being near lots of settlements and as the game goes on you kind of want to strategically position your cows to make points off of other people so that's one of the advantages of cows for example but If you have a scoring tile that just benefits you for something that you're probably already going to do, have a couple cows, have a couple of this, because this game is really one of those games where you kind of need to do a little bit of everything. So you're probably going to do a little bit of everything. And sure, it encouraged you, John, to specialize in cows. But there aren't a lot of tiles that really ask you to do something very specific. And in fact, I did have one of those last game. And I I had a lot of fun kind of aiming my strategy towards that and it did allow me to do somewhat unique things like use a lever I wouldn't normally have used because I needed to do more money or whatever. So I, I I like this aspect of the game, but I do wish there was more variability in the scoring tiles and more opportunities or encouragement to do unique things with them.
1: One thing I've spent a lot of time thinking about this game because... I've really enjoyed playing it, um, quite a lot. Uh, honestly, this is one of my favorite Alexander Pfister games. I think arguably my favorite of his games right now, as far as just pure enjoyment of playing, um, and being interested in, in playing more. And it's been a really interesting thing for me to think about because I can get fixated on many of the parts of the game that do disappoint me. I I am disappointed by the levers i am disappointed by you know the income tracks as i said i have i do have a feeling of like i wish that draw deck was was more vibrant with its you know ability to draw a card and be excited about it as opposed to just you know piecing all these cards together with all these other ones but at the same time i've had a ball every time i've played this game so i have this really interesting situation where the critic in me i feel like it doesn't quite match up with the just gamer in me that just likes playing games and 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 playing cards. So many cards! The cards get you stuff and doing actions on my turn, doing actions on other people's turns. I just really enjoy the process of playing this game, um, even though I, I've I've complained about it quite a bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a good game, maybe even a very good game. Uh, there's a lot of sort of you know kind of intuitive Euroe mechanics in here There's a lot of rewards which are obviously satisfying to have um it is it is fun i just think that it's uh these things that were that i'm i'm harping on The the design to me doesn't make enough of like a brave choice or a bold decision there aren't I don't feel like at the end of this game, like I could go and tell someone else to be like, oh man, like I executed this in Boone Lake and they'd be like, that sounds rad. I want to do that. Like at the end of the game, it's like, cool, that was fun to play. I, you know, edged you out here. So it just doesn't have like a, a very like oomfy, like powerful narrative. And I think that's the part that just keeps it below feeling super exciting. And I think all of these things that we're talking about Loop around that like it's tight, it's well designed, and there's also just like this grander component that it feels like it's reaching for, I really want it to have, and it just doesn't quite get there
0: yeah i I agree with both of you, i mean honestly coming into into tonight to 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 record this this podcast with you guys like i I was having a hard time and I mean even to a certain extent during this discussion like having a hard time collecting my thoughts on Boon Lake and I I feel like I've had a hard time collecting my thoughts on it uh playing it over the last six weeks or so um because I I really like this game it has so many things that I like I've already said it's the best action selection mechanism with the with the, you know, follow actions that I have seen and, and enjoy. I love that. I think the, the little resource mini game, no matter how you play it is, 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 is a really cool way of thinking. It's just, I like that there's so many benefits that you just get things everywhere. And like, I like all of that. I like, I I like Alexander Fister's designs. He's one of my favorite designers. I like his games. I like the way he approaches designs uh, design. I like the way, this game is designed. It's just, it's still unique, right? Like that's a cool thing about a lot of his, a lot of his designs is they take modern board gaming pieces and, and turn them around. Like this idea of the loops and the the river and the variable endings and, and the pacing and all of that. So I like all of that. So for me, there was a point after our first play where I thought, oh, this is going to be it. This is gonna be my favorite fister. I can I can get rid of America. I can get rid of Great Western Trail. Like this is this is gonna be this is gonna be it for me. And what has been difficult for me is that I really like this game, but I don't love it. And it, it, I'm almost frustrated that I don't love it. Like I, the, but it is such an enjoyable two hours. Like it's well worth the time to to learn it to play it it's very enjoyable to play there's very little downtime because of everything we've talked about Yeah. so i i i really like all of that stuff and so i mean this is truly one for me where i i can't wait to see if there's going to be an expansion for this game and i and i'm not someone who's like that normally where i was like oh an, expa- an expansion to fix the game or an expansion to do this but just because sometimes expansions can add elements to games for better for worse that just push them in a specific direction or take them to a new level or just add just enough additional variability that you can start to pull out some different strategies or they do add an additional layer that's just like hey this is that thing and whether that that fixes any of the things that we've talked about or whether that just adds some freshness that makes me want to keep exploring this game I, I, I can't wait to see that because I do think there's a lot of really cool elements here. It's just, and this is just, it sounds so weird for how often I complain or, uh, you know, we, we, as as board gamers, we complain about balance or tunedness and games and you know, all of that. I it just, it's, it's, it's almost like it's just, it's too perfect. It's just, it's, it's, and I just, I want, I want some, some piece of it that I can just, I can work and, and, and feel like really really proud of and 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 i just haven't been able to find that here and um i wish i could
2: the flow of the game is really good and i designers do this often but i really hope that fister more so than an expansion actually takes the idea of the flow of this game that main action secondary action and the way that that works and incorporates it into a design in the future which i think is totally viable i'd love to see that
0: yeah, well, I think that's going to wrap up everything we have to say about Boone Lake. Um, obviously, we didn't really touch on how this game compares to Maracaibo, Our Great Russian Trail, you know, Alexander Fister's other, you know, great hits. And I think that's something that we've talked about maybe doing another episode just talking about that because yeah, honestly, that'd be fun. I think we could talk for another hour just comparing that uh but we do have a lot of thoughts about that in fact John and I just finished a game of Great Western Trail which is John's I think what first time playing Great Western Trail in, in what, like 5, five years. years yeah I think like since I made years. the review yeah and uh Nick is a total guru at both Maracaibo and Great Western Trail we have more to say on that too but you know for now I mean I think I think Boon Lake is a is a great game that is well worth checking out and you know obviously we have we have talked about a little bit some of its uh some of the things we have issues with, but we would love to hear your thoughts. If you played the game, if you have any questions about the game, uh, please check out the YouTube uh, version of this. We'll put a link in the description. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to see your comments. So thanks for joining us to chat about Boon Lake and we look forward to talking with you guys more.
1: See you next time. Ciao, everyone.